All right. Wednesday, Discussions of Truth. I am your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. Listen to me live right now, winwoodradio.com. Follow me on Periscope. Watch me live right now. I'm working on the feed to get that uh, uh, running to where you can actually hear the guest as well. At uh, technical issues here. Intro with Seek and Destroy. Metallica seeking out corruption. Corporate, political are the main focuses of this show, Discussions of Truth, and we aim to completely destroy those. Something that caught my eye recently as another slew of hurricanes uh, run up uh, the coast, the eastern seaboard, if you will. Uh, Florence that hit Carolinas, the Carolinas last week, primarily North Carolina. There is a report out of Wired magazine of giant mosquitoes. An onslaught of giant mosquitoes hitting North Carolina. My question to you is this. Were you aware that that there are genetically modified mosquito manufacturing plants in the Keys, in the Florida Keys? Did you know that? British-owned... GMO plants to manufacture mosquitoes in the Florida Keys do exist. And a woman lost her life over being politically active to take these GMO centers and fabrication centers to task. Her name is Mila Demur. So my question to you. Are these giant mosquitoes that other sources apart from Wired are reporting, could it possibly be that they are genetically modified? They are man-made mosquitoes. Have you ever heard of the Zika virus? Have you ever heard of Dibrom? Were you aware that the Rockefeller Foundation basically owns both? Now, when I say owns the Zika virus... Yes, they own the patent on fabricating and duplicating the Zika virus. They also are large shareholders of the manufacturing company, Chevron Chemical Corporation, that developed the pesticide called Dibrom, also known as Nalid, here in Miami, was sprayed to combat the Zika virus. Oh, it just so happens that the European Union has banned it, labeled it a neurotoxin. That's right, a toxin. Yet it was sprayed over Wynwood and South Beach. Wynwood, where I broadcast from every Wednesday at 5 o'clock, and South Beach, where I happen to currently reside. Yes, this is winwoodradio.com. This is Discussions of Truth. Milady Murr. Investigate her because she lost her life over trying to inform you of the fact that, yes, there are genetically modified mosquitoes. Should that be a concern to you? No More Lies, Federally Reserved. Federal Reserve, No More Lies. That is the title of my book, and I do now have a publisher. Purchase it. In the electronic form on my website, iantrotier.com, I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R.com. And let me also say impeachmassmedia.com. Type that in, impeachmassmedia.com. 
It can also be found through impeachmassmedia.com. Impeach mass media, because that is fake news. 2018 and fake news is a real thing. Don't think that you can sit back on your couch and just turn on the boob tube and not question the information that's coming out of that. All right. No more lies. Get it? It's like $5.99 on Smashwords. What a bargain. That's going to cheaper than it's going to be in print through my publisher. So $5.99 is what you get on electronic form, but you want to download it to your uh, to your iPad or uh, your, your Kindle or whatever that uh, tablet is that, that Microsoft sells. Uh, okay. I'll be right back with my first guest, uh, Shetan Heber. Following Shatan, we will have on Susan Lindauer and Explosive. Just just Explosive, okay? Both of these guests have strong messages bringing to you. The information is Explosive. Thanks for tuning in. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. Both handles, I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. Next week, we'll bring on old Demigard. I'll explain who he is a little bit. He's a 2017-17 Prague Peace Prize Award winner. And uh, you can you can listen to all my replays, check out all my guests on iantrotje.com or impeachmassmedia.com. You can find all the guests uh, through either one of those links. I've got some great guests that have come on the program, and I'll listen to them via iTunes, Google Play. I personally like to promote mixcloud.com. So, returning momentarily with Shatan Heber. Enjoy a little bit of Seek and Destroy. Yes, Seek and Destroy Metallica, James Hetfield. I think they originally formed in Los Angeles. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they wrote a number of really great songs in Northern California, where I where I come from. Uh, we have Chetan, a correction in the name pronunciation. Chetan. Uh, Chetan. It's like Nathan. Chetan like Nathan. Yep. Fantastic. Thanks for joining the program. Uh, how the heck Ooh. are you? I'm doing really well, man. How are you? We're doing just fantastic, uh, just fantastic down here in Miami. We we haven't gotten uh, hurricanes, but uh, 
But the weather has, yeah, uh, you know, okay. been a little bit rainy. Oh, okay. Well, that that is not nearly as bad as it could be. So, Chaden, now you you are in uh, New York City, correct? Uh, I actually live in Philadelphia now, but I did live in New York City for about six years. Yeah. So tell 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 us about that as you uh, ran for city council for New York City, right? I did. I did. So uh, I was a senior in college. I was working full time on Wall Street at the time, and uh, and I just noticed that after the 2016 election, people didn't really know exactly what their place was in politics, especially people uh, at my school. I went to NYU at the time, and I noticed that a lot of people were disappointed with the outcome of the election and took to the streets. They were protesting, putting a lot of time and effort into uh, engaging themselves into the civic process. But uh, when they didn't see the results come from that, they didn't exactly know what to do. And, and I was in that boat as well. You know, I, I honestly didn't know what steps to take and how I could better my community. And while the federal government and, and politics on that level are, are an entirely different game of their own, I decided that, you know, the most impact that you can make to a person's day-to-day life is on the local scale. And I started looking into that stuff. But what really pushed me into running was I was on a bus one day and, uh, there was this massive ad campaign launched by the New York City government called Save a Life, Carry Narcan. And uh, are you familiar with what Narcan is? No. Okay, so so for those of you who don't know, Narcan is this anti-overdose drug for uh, people who overdose on opiates. And New York City was doing something I thought was really, really cool at the time, which was you know taking a measure to allow Narcan to be uh, given over-the-counter at all Walgreens in the city. And I thought that was a really cool thing because drug policy was one of my passions and I think one of the major failures of our government policy in the last decade, and uh, if not longer, in fact. Yeah. Um, but, but I was like, okay, this is awesome. So, of course, I went to the nearest Walgreens and I asked them for Narcan. First Walgreens said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, okay. Moved on to the next Walgreens said, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I pulled up the New York City government website, yeah. figured out all of the Walgreens around me, and I went to each and every one of them. And guess what? Nobody had None Narcan. No one knew what I was talking about. And it made me realize that a lot of times the government takes positions and pretends to have these values. And while they may be grounded in good intentions, somehow in the bureaucratic process, it just turned into a marketing scheme on New York City's end. And, and I thought that was... A, a huge failure on their part, but more importantly, a huge failure to their to their constituents and the people that live in New York City and rely on this sort of this sort of help in order to move on. And, and I thought that a more people needed to know about this, but b that kids my age not knowing how to fit into the political process is something that is a tale as old as time. Right? We aren't told that that we can you know, go up there and speak our voices, we're told to sit in the background and be represented. And it's understandable to a degree, but I think we live in a time where everybody needs to be doing their part. And I felt like on my end, my part could have been vocalizing the values that I know the people around me held, and also showing them that they can be engaged at every level from helping run a campaign, from helping, um, you know, take to the streets like they already were, or to run themselves and express their opinions on a larger platform. So that was my that was my initial reasoning for running for city council. But then it branched off into uh, I guess we can talk about this later. But why I started my nonprofit Nexus NYC. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so I just realized that there needs to be I guess two ways of dealing with social problems. Right. There's the government aspect of it, but 
oftentimes, as I'm sure you know, it gets boiled down to partisan issues, right? People get tied into um, one side or another, and instead of thinking about ways of accomplishing or fixing social problems, they get tied to who made the idea or or uh, who is behind the idea rather than what good it could have done. And, and I realized that, sure, the government has policies and opinions, and they're going to be you know, creating legislation that could create stable social change for, for decades, but there needs to be a creative aspect to it that the government oftentimes just doesn't doesn't recognize. There are all of these nonprofits out there run by by experts or nonprofits that don't exist yet. You know, college professors who who have spent their lives uh, thinking about a certain issue, writing about that issue, studying that issue, and having creative solutions, but they don't know how to build a website. So you know what? That's where their their business venture ends. And I thought that that's a huge disservice. And these people definitely deserve voices on their end as well. So uh, I tried to you know do what I can for those people and create connections so that they could build up their organizations as well. At least that's that's the goal. How 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 was how were the uh, how were people in New York receptive to uh, to what you're finding r- regarding the Walgreens? Uh, how would what did what did you find? How, how was the reception? Well, people were shocked and abhorred, and I think that's it was rightful of them to be. And and people just had no idea that the government oftentimes doesn't follow through on their promises because nine times out of ten, the things that you see on someone's platform don't affect you personally. And I think we see that on the federal scale as well, right? People rally behind issues that, that don't particularly affect them, but they get trapped into an idea that we are doing something. We're making forward progress. We're changing in the right direction as per whatever their beliefs are. But the reality is when you look under the hood, that's not always the case. And I, I just thought it was really important to bring that to light and also to show that it doesn't take a policy expert or a wonk to understand that things aren't going the, the way they should be going. It could take, you know, a 21 year old who is still in school, who is just willing to talk about it. And I was hoping that more people would do the same. That's awesome. What 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 an, what an excellent example. Did you find anything as you peeled away? Did you find did you find uh, the nexus of 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 of, uh, of this issue uh, as you peeled peeled the layers away at all? Was there anything I mean, striking? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things in New York, as I'm sure you know, is that everybody pretty much affiliates as a Democrat, regardless of what their actual beliefs are. So when you run for city council, for instance, you're in a, you're in an arena where you're running against like eight other Democrats, but everyone has very different views and every has, everyone has very different understandings of what Democrats are and what they mean, um, and how they solve problems. So, so they propose these ideas, but because there are so many conflicting views, even within the same party, they get trapped behind the bureaucratic hurdles of it all. And, and that's why the nonprofit really sprung sprung off from it. And what I'm most proud of, and what I work on most of the time, is this nonprofit is is uh, you know targeting those issues and trying to find a completely non governmental approach, an apolitical approach towards solving problem. Um, the most uh, the problem with, for instance, say cancer research, right? There isn't a real market for cancer research. Uh, because not enough people have cancer to create a free market to create an optimal solution. So what you require are these nonprofits who are willing to get into the field with experts, but they need the backup of the public. And they and you know with the tax exempt status, you can you can get those donations and stuff, and you can solve problems. But you need the infrastructure in place to solve those problems, and you need the the experts not only in the field 
but you need the experts on how to run an organization. So what what I was able to do was I started with my group of friends, right? I I knew some people from back in high school. We had all spread out to different parts of the country. And uh, I told them what I was doing. And I, I told them, uh, you know, we're working on this philanthropic project. Um, for instance, now we're working on a project uh, – for a Philadelphia nonprofit called Breaking Chains. They are an early intervention group for for kids that are trapped in the cycle of poverty, trapped in the school to prison pipeline. Um, And they go to these schools and when kids are acting out instead of, you know, putting them in detention or isolating them further, they pull them out of class, pull them into smaller groups where other people are doing the same thing and and they tell them the harsh realities, right? If you act like this as an adult, unfortunately, you're gonna end up in the school to prison pipeline. And we, uh, the person at the head of the organization was a warden at, at many of the largest uh, prisons, private and public, in Philadelphia. And and they were able to speak from the heart, speak from their experiences, and show them where their future was headed unless they were willing to engage in their communities and everyone was willing to take care of each other. So I was able to pair them with a web developer. I was able to uh, do a lot of the compliance issues myself, which is a huge issue with these growing nonprofits because you know at the end of the day, compliance is a full-time job. And if you want to make these changes while also not ending up in a bad tax situation yourself, you got you to gotta have that sort of expertise on your team. So we, in effect, bridge the gap between experts and expertise. And we try to take the good ideas that people have and supplement, uh, supplement them with the business uh, necessities that are required in order to have credibility yourself or spread your message. So that's that's pretty much what I've been up to for the last couple of months. Chayton, that sounds amazing. So in closing, for listeners that are interested in um, learning more about what you're doing or supporting you, uh, direct can, can you direct them to a website? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is nexusnyc.org, N-E-X-U-S-N-Y-C. Uh, if you are interested in starting your own nonprofit or if you just like to talk about how you can get involved and how you can help, just hit the Work With Us tab. And fill in your information, and someone will be in touch with you really, really quickly because we need all the help we can get. Ladies and gentlemen, Chayton Heber. Chayton, thanks for joining the program. Thanks, Ian. I really appreciate it. All right, amazing guests here. We've got coming up Susan Lindauer. I'll be right back with you. Again, follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter. That's I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. I was just talking about... Uh, uh, no more lies. You know, as I as I as I wrapped with uh, chat chatted there with with Chayton a little bit. Uh, of course, Charlotte Eisenberg came to mind. If you haven't listened to Charlotte's episode, uh, it's really easy. The the, the link is uh, bit.ly bitly slash skull bones. That's capital S K U L L B capital B O N E S skull bones three twenty two. Check out what Charlotte Eisenberg read, or just Google the dumbing down of America. Americans are doing incredible things, and it's up to each and every one of us to make sure those voices get heard instead of the garbage that we're fed through mass media. I'll be right back with Susan Lindauer.
And I am back. Thanks for tuning in to Winwood Radio. Every Wednesday, 5 o'clock, I'm here. Discussions of truth. I'm your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. Today we have on Susan Lindauer. She's a graduate of Smith College of Massachusetts and the London School of Economics. She's an American author, anti-war activist, and former U.S. congressional staffer. It just so happens that Susan was charged with acting as an unregistered agent of a foreign government and violating U.S. financial sanctions during the run-up to the 2003 invasion of Iraq. Susan, how are you today? I great. I'm doing great. Um, I have to. I have to say that there's a Brett Kavanaugh moment in all of this because great. as you as you see <laughs> as as you see, not all accusations are what they claim to be. And in my case, uh, it wasn't because I was a woman. It was because I was a CIA asset, and I knew the real facts about Iraqi pre-war intelligence, which were very, very, very different than what uh, you all were being told. And so they wanted to keep it. Especially, I, I was the one who negotiated the return of the weapons inspectors to Iraq. Wow! So I had uh, meet constant meetings, several meetings a month with uh, top diplomats in Iraq, excuse me, top Iraqi diplomats in New York. I was, the meetings were at the United Nations, but I was going to New York for those meetings and all of the things that I was doing were being supervised and scrutinized. So the idea that I would be breaking a law when I know that, you know, the, all the, the, all the intelligence community and the FBI and the justice department are watching every move I make is kind of is kind of silly, and besides, when I uh, everything I did was being reported, and uh, when I went to Baghdad, the one foreign government that wanted to pay me was Israel. <laughs> uh huh. I was. I was. They while I was gone, they 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 called repeatedly saying that they would give, they would fill a suitcase full of cash. Any size suitcase. <laughs> My goodness. And and fill it with cash, and they would deliver it to any capital of the world that I wanted to get the money. And I was like, if only I could take your money. And if I couldn't take Israel's money, then I could I could hardly take money from Iraq either. So that's interesting. Let's 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 back up here and 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 you say you were an asset to the CIA. What does that mean? Well, that means that I was. Um, it's espionage. Um, they accept it's. It's a polite word for saying spy. Um, this I was a CIA and defense intelligence asset, going back to uh, the Lockerbie negotiations with Libya, 1995. I was involved. I was having meetings with. They they knew. I mean, they, they, this was this was a, a back channel. So it was a. a, a, a a top secret covert presidential level back channel to Iraq and Libya at a time when those countries were pariah nations. They were, they were considered hostile, very much like North Korea today. Libya particularly was like North Korea today. So you didn't just go in and talk to the Libyans back in, back in 1995. That would have been impossible to do. The Libyans wouldn't have done it either. So we had to, persu you know, persuading everybody to get on board this was, was actually a very difficult thing to do. It was, it was quite an achievement. But once I did that, the Iraqis wanted in too. So I ended up with both countries. Now, were you employed by the CIA? You weren't a spy or a CIA no, agent No, I, I, was, I was an asset. I was an asset. So, so you I, knew a I, lot. I had, I had a case officer who oversaw all my interactions. 
Okay, uh, but you you were a congressional staffer. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's I was kind of I was a congressional staffer. I was a journalist. Uh, I did media consulting work. <laughs> so I did I did a, I did a number of things during this period. But most of my most of what I was doing, I I had like a a cover a cover yes. identity, but um, <laughs> to, to 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 as as they would put it. But yeah. So okay, anyway, yeah. this is uh, anyway. So it's it's a uh, it's I I'm, I'm quite fascinated by the Khashoggi story, and uh, my book is called Extreme Prejudice because at the time that my uh, that the Iraq War went down, yeah. everyone wanted to 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 kill me, and every, and I, I was then arrested on the Patriot Act, uh, right. locked up in prison on Carswell Air Force Base for a year. But I had not done anything. The story that I had done anything collapsed immediately. It was actually Ahmed Shalabi and the Iraqi exiles who had fabricated reports about me. And it, it, it all fell apart immediately. But because it was such a, uh, they, 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 the military, the Pentagon yeah. actually hired my boyfriend who was living with me and he uh, worked at the Pentagon with a salary just under six figures and a top secret security clearance. So it was <laughs> Okay. Yeah. It was, okay. It was not not like what they it it, it was it, but they but they wanted to keep me silent. It was all about the silence. And your your story doesn't leak into mainstream news. Uh, they will not let that in. Why they, is they, that? The, the mass. I, I'm I'm fascinated by this because to me, it, Donald Trump is right. We have a we have a fake news fake news media that is. Do we? Uh, oh, I think I think in, I, in many cases, my <laughs> stories my story is a perfect example of of a total invention. They said that I was a religious maniac. That I was like um, a religious uh, maniac. Yes, yes, they did. Yes, they did. Like, uh, like the Elizabeth Smart kidnapper. Like that would oh be my a gosh. religious maniac, and that would be impossible for me to even pretend to copy. I would not be have the capability to do that. So uh, it was, it was. They, 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 they did their best to demonize me, but it was really because of what I knew, and I knew everything. And the story that they've told is not the slightest bit true. Okay, so let's. <laughs> Uh, what this is great this is wonderful uh, and 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 uh, okay so let's let's go there let's let's kind of um paint the picture for listeners um let's let's go back to uh 9/11 shall we uh let's start with 9/11 and um of course we can go back to Lockerbie but uh we'll start with we'll start with 9/11 because from a from an outsiders from an average uh, american's viewpoint that was really a major pivotal a turning point in how this country, uh, maybe not how it's run because it's been run uh, on a very deep level. That yes, but I no, think- no, I agree. Nine eleven was the turning point, and here was the, here was another big shocker. Uh, my team gave advance warning about nine eleven, but to be more specific, we received notice from the CIA about the 9-11 attack, very specifically, that it would be the end of end of summer, August, September. Wow. It would involve airplane hijackings and a strike on the World Trade Center as a known target. We fully expected 
we talked about it for, for months, miniature thermonuclear devices that would be used in the basement to blow up the building. And so all of, all of this was, uh, was a known quantity for, for, you know, four or five or six from April and May of 2001 on. And the people are surprised to know that uh, from about August 23rd until September 3rd, second or third, um, strange trucks were seen leave, were captured on the, yeah. at the, the, the video monitors mm-hmm. at the parking garage of the World Trade Center. They were seen coming and going at three o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. right after the janitorial crews had come, had, had, had left. And then they were leaving, the, the strange trucks were leaving at about five o'clock in the morning. So they were coming for about two hours. They were loading and unloading something secretive. Uh, they were seen unloading something, but they don't know what it was. And then they were seen loading other. Th- you know, they were taking things in and out, both. Uh, but it was a, it was a it was a fast job, and it happened for ten nights, and then it, they were never seen again. And the video footage as well. And the video footage has disappeared too, into the, into the bowels of. Oh, I'm sure it's been destroyed. It will not be saved. It will not have been saved. But the, my source was yeah. someone who. Worked at the who who worked at the State Department and his wife worked at the NSA, uh-huh. so he he was worried that he was going to lose his job if he told any more than that, and that she would lose. They'd both lose their jobs and their pensions if they revealed anything more than that. But it was this this nine eleven was something that was was. There's a lot more. Uh, it's very hard for people to understand the government could have participated sure. or known of something like that. This is very upsetting for people. It really upsets people. Right, right. Now, um, what can you what, what can you say in regards to Operation Norwood? Northwoods is it is it is it yeah, if I've Northwood, got that right? Yeah. And then yeah. and and then also Project uh, Bojinka. If I pronounce that right. Project Bojinga. Project Bojinga was uh, Ramsey Youssef, who was the mastermind of the first World Trade Center attack in 1993. He is the one who conceived of using multiple airplanes to strike multiple targets at the same time, on the same hour of the same day. So this was conceived of, this was in his notes when he was taken in Manila in the Philippines. And another, another thing that surprises people is that Terry Nichols and Timothy McVeigh had been meeting with people we now call Al Qaeda figures in the Philippines. And we're very surprised. Americans are very surprised to know, learn that the Philippines are a source of, 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 rampant Islamic radicalism and right. the Philippine government is they, they are frequently trying to overthrow the Philippine government. It's not that the Philippine government, which is mostly Catholic is subverted by the terrorists, but they are very much under attack from yeah. them. So, uh, you know, so, so project Bojinga was actually conceived by, by the, by Ramsey Youssef himself. Susan, yes. Do you happen to be familiar with uh, uh, Professor Al McCoy? Does that name ring a bell to you? Just, just. Uh, uh, no, no. Okay. Sorry. All right. Not, not really important. Um, okay. So, so Project Bojinga, um, and this is this is uh, this is developed in, in, in when? Uh, nineteen ninety three to ninety five, before his capture. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about Project North. So, these are, so, yeah, so it's imp- it's important to understand yeah. that that there was a in, in fact nine a 9/11 scenario had been conceived and the military had practiced for it. What was so disturbing on the date of 9/11 was that NORAD was running NORAD and the US military were running test drills at that very day. And so when the planes first hit struck the World Trade Center, it was speculated they might have been part of the uh, training op. But that okay. also shows, in fact, a high level of uh, synchronicity, which th- there is no such thing as coincidence in the intelligence world. Th- these were these were these were th- the idea that that happened just by mistake on that particular day when all of the. Sure. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't add up. <laughs> tell, us yeah. some, tell us about the London School of Economics. Now, you're a graduate of London well, School of Economics? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm a graduate from LSE. Um, and it is considered, it, it's actually, a, a, was, it was a great place to go to school. Uh, it has a, it has a, a, a very liberal, uh, it's socialist. It's very socialist. It was okay. founded by founded by Marxists, but but in the modern day, that was that was back in in the the Bloomsbury days, back in the 1930s. But uh, but 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 today it is a it's where international uh, dictators mostly send their kids to school. <laughs> <laughs> so you rub okay. you rub like like Gaddafi's son went there. Okay. Sada- I think I think some of Iraq's top. Govern, top generals and such sent their sent their kids there. Um, it's it's literally where it's literally where Pakistan oh the, the Pakistan foreign ministry everybody sends their kids there. Wow. India, yeah. So you <laughs> see a lot of you you get a lot of radicals, but they are the elite radicals who are. Uh, so it's it's actually a fascinating place to fascinating place to to get a world perspective. What what was the uh, what would you say in a nutshell? What was the most intriguing thing that you walked away from with uh, from that institution? Oh, um, th- that was so long ago. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> dating myself. I'm dating myself. How well, it was it was it was a it was an eye opener to uh, they they have a very strong feelings about U.S. colonialism and U.S. colonialism. U.S. colonialism and uh, the, the 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 desire to break away from U.S. hegemony. Uh-huh. So th- th- there's a challenge there. There's a lot okay. of there's a lot of challenges. It's it's, a, it's an interesting place to be an American because everyone around you is anti-American. Uh-huh. <laughs> you okay. Much say not everyone, but there is there is certainly a belief system that is that is that America needs to be. You're you're, you're exposed to a lot of people who want to bring America down. You're just, that you're just a damn Yankee, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So right, right. it's it's it, in in the night. I I was there when Reagan was president. That's so how long ago it was. I'm so sorry. I'm so. Hey, old. no. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. But, Wait, but yeah. No, no. But I I was there when Reagan was there. So there, you know, the United it was the United States was at the height of our power, and everyone was trying to you know. The the, the the United States was pretty much the, the big brother telling everybody else, bossing everybody around, and all these countries didn't really like it very much. So. Yeah. We've had on program Paul Craig Roberts. Are you familiar with him? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's wonderful. Uh, okay. So, Susan, let's, let's, okay, let's get back to... Um to to nine eleven and 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 really inform if we can inform listeners what 
what they kind of were, were, were painted, the picture they were painted from, from mass media, and, and I don't know if you've looked at the guest list, but I've had on Christopher Bolin. Now, Christopher Bolin wrote a book uh, that really paints uh, 9-11 uh, into a, a corner of an international banking, and not just international banking, but a, a, a particular section of uh, a group of international bankers and uh the Talking Points memo didn't like that very well because uh, the week after that, I'd interviewed uh, a, a senator from Mississippi, Chris McDaniel, um, and, and 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 so. But but I think you know there's so many different working uh, parts to to what's happening here. But it seems like the, the 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 basic issue is that there seems to be explosives that were involved, and those two planes, and of course, Building Seven, right? Building Seven wasn't a Building Seven. There, there was. It's very difficult for the American people to understand nine eleven because they don't want to believe the United States government could have participated in this. It is. It is. A, a, it only takes a rogue group to do something and it was was saudi israeli uh american uh the 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 the, hi, the, the hijackers it, it was it was very much like a a magician's trick all eyes were on the left hand which is the airplanes flying over the water into the towers but the real action to bring down the towers required explosives it just did and all the firefighters have testified that they heard explosions going off throughout the entire building the janitorial crew have said they heard explosions going off the fires in the basement burned until january which is not a uh a petroleum fire that would burn for five or six minutes and go out but this burned for months and it was molten molten steel underneath the the in the basement level so it was it was this there's indications that it was a combination of thermite explosions which turn steel into dust and which create the dust effect the dust plume effect and also possibly a miniature thermonuclear device in the basement area which is what i had been told to expect as of april and may now, uh, the, throughout the summer of 2001, that does not mean that the entire United States government wanted this attack to occur. On the contrary, we were trying to, st- uh, a whole bunch of people were trying to stop it and prevent it. But it was, it, and it was not a Keystone Cops kind of situation. Uh, it wasn't like people were bumbling and idiotic and stupid and just kept running into each other. We were deliberately thwarted. When we tried to stop it, uh, I personally telephoned the office of Attorney General John Ashcroft uh, on August oof, August seventh uh, or eighth, about August eighth, telling him. Tell I, I had been ordered by my CIA handler. Here, here, here's how this went down in the month of August for us. On August second, the Senate held confirmation hearings for. Robert Mueller to become FBI director. On that date, I had a conversation with my CIA handler, which was recorded by other members of the agency who came into the office where I was working outside my home as a consultant. And they got a, they pulled a wall street journal from that office and it ended up staying in my file uh, until I wrote my, from 2001 until I wrote my book in 2010, 
and they held on to that. And when I wrote my book right before it was published, I went to uh, Japan for a, a book tour and I started telling them about you know, the, the, the warnings in the month of August. And I came back from Japan and this newspaper from the wall, a paper copy of the wall street journal was, was tucked into Rose Quartz paperweight on my desk. And it hit, you know, there's and and, and nine years later it was, it was there and it shows up in my house. So somebody had gone to that office on that weekend looking for our notes of everything that we had about this attack there was it wasn't just us who were concerned about it others were concerned too but on that date uh my my cia handler told me that he thought the attack was imminent and i told him over the phone that i would go up to new york one last time to talk with the iraqis to see if they had any messages from baghdad regarding this attack and so I, I, I did that and I met on August 4th and on August 6th, I had a meeting with my CIA handler and I said, they don't know anything. The Iraqis just have nothing to give us. And he said, Oh, Susan, they're going to get blamed for this attack if it, if it goes on. Hmm. And I said, I told them that and there's, they just don't have anything to tell us. So that was August 6th. On that date, he and I agreed that we would activate a, a, an internal emergency alert system and that I had, I had been given a phone number that I asked directly into attorney general, the attorney general's office, John Ashcroft. And in the event that I ever discovered uh, a terrorist attack and I could not reach my CIA handler and defense intelligence handler, which would never happen in a million years, but they're always there. Uh, and they, they will, they'll, they'll move heaven and earth to get to me if I need them. But, or at that time they would. Um, so that would never happen, but we activated that and, and I called them up and I identified myself and I said, look, we are seeking an emergency broadcast alert through all federal agencies, seeking any fragment of intelligence involving airplane hijackings and a strike on the world trade center as a known target. We need, if, 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 if there's any agency that has any, that has any suspicious activities, we need it to be reported back immediately. Well, the FBI in Minneapolis did exactly that. They had picked up this guy, uh, Musawi, um, Musawi, uh, and they had his. Uh, they wanted a FISA warrant to open his computer and his his laptop and his his cell phone to get his records. And Attorney General John Ashcroft stopped them. Mm-hmm. Okay, he stopped them. That was a stupid thing to do, but that was the kind of of uh, uh, obstruction that would have it would have been empowering. Musawi was the 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 twenty the the twenty fourth hijacker, uh, the nineteen how, however many there were. He was the missing he was the missing hijacker that would they said that that he was who was supposed to be on the flight. And they opened his, when they, after 9-11, they opened his computer and they found all this details and all kinds of information about the attack. And the, the people in Minneapolis tried very hard to get it out before the attack, but they were blocked. So, you know, they, they, on uh, August 6th, um, Richard Clark had gone to Crawford, Texas to have, to have a meeting with George Bush and George Bush said, oh, you guys, you CIA people keep talking about this attack. You keep telling me about this attack. Um, now, you've, now you've covered your butt. You're, you've covered your rear end. Let's go play golf. Uh, 
And that's what he said. And except he used more stronger language than that. And he said, you know, you're, you're getting annoying. You're starting to annoy me. Don't talk about this anymore. Hmm. And a month later it happened. But here is the thing that is so odd that I, or I think is so odd. There was video taken of the attack and that was broadcast in, in an internal video system to George Bush before he went into the classroom. And he, if you, if you look, listen to what he says, it's very, he's, he says it straight up that he had already, knew, he'd already seen the first attack. Right. He had seen video of the first attack. And even before he went into the classroom and he thought, oh my goodness, that, that, that pilot, that must be a terrible pilot. What is he doing? You know, because oh, I used to be a pilot myself. Well, the only way that, the, that President Bush ever could have seen that video was on a video monitor because it was being taped and, and directed to him direct, you know, in, in real time. Okay, so the fact that he even acknowledges that there was video of the first attack and that he saw it before he went into the classroom should raise, should raise concerns right there. Okay, but this is the kind of thing Americans do not want to hear they don't like it. They, they're like, don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, I, so, so They do not want to know the truth. Yeah, right. I mean, let, let, let's, we get into, uh, for instance, uh, and you can comment if you'd like, we get into the term the uh, novus ordo seclorum, right? I mean, that's, that's a Latin term that's printed right on the back of every single dollar bill that's in, that's in currency and circulation throughout this country. Uh, translated in English, it's simply new world order. That's on every single dollar bill that we hand one another uh, across this country. Yet that term very often is aligned to uh, some sort of a conspiracy theory, right? And so, and so these alternative approaches to what has been given us in mass media to what actually transpired in, in or what transpired on 9-11 is a conspiracy theory. Yet we're getting from you, who is very well in tune to some of these signs, right up to the chain of uh, of Ashcroft, uh, uh, that that these 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 this attack could have been prevented. So, my question to you, Susan, is: Do you see any tie-in whatsoever to the Council on Foreign Relations? Have you made any connections? Oh, I think I think that. Well, I, I can tell you that the council. Well, David Rockefeller, when I was under in when I was under indictment, I was doing some temp work to survive. Uh, I don't apologize for that. Honest work is honest work, and 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 yeah. but I I receive you know I, I don't apologize for for what I you know making making do as I as I had to proceed. But they offered me a job at the Rockefeller Foundation. Cool. Well, I didn't take it, but oh, cooler! <laughs> but no, no, I, I was like, no, <laughs> like I'm paying too but, much but of the they, pump anyway. No, yeah, I'm kidding. Well, sorry, but, but they, <laughs> no, but but it was the Rockefeller Foundation that uh, that had an agenda, the New World Order agenda, and I couldn't support it. So, but but it was an interesting thing to to be offered that. Also, the Carlyle Group. Uh, yeah, I was I well I, while I was temping. This is actually very significant, I believe. Uh, Somebody they, they 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 would kind of know when I was temping. People who had seen me around would kind of you know maybe check me out and say, oh oh she's that one, ooh she's that one, and they called me back and there was somebody who was adamant that they wanted they had a job for me and it had to be only me, 
And it was a, it was a copying job. And it was like, oh, anybody can copy. How dumb. He said, no, no, you got to see what this is. And, and, they, and I went in and they said, you cannot make any copies to take to yourself. Mm. But you, you're to make a copy of everything and put it in the folders. And in the folders was the portfolios of the investors for the Carlisle Group. And at the time, the Bin Laden family Mm -hmm. was huge investors in the Carlisle Group. I mean, you know, no investment was smaller than $25 million. Mm -hmm. That was the smallest they would go was $25 million for one single. And they had like emerging markets in Brazil, Argentina, Chile, you know, each, each country in each category. Emerging markets, oil, emerging markets, agriculture, emerging markets, transportation. And they'd have, you know, there must have been billions of dollars from the Bin Laden family in the Carlyle Group. But the only reason I was allowed to see it, and they made a big fuss that I must not Xerox anything and take it out of the building with me, just eyes only, was that somebody was telling me that the Carlyle Group had a huge, huge tie-ins with the Bin Ladens. And that they were that there was a protection racket going on, definitely. Yeah. It was a, it was it was a symbiotic relationship with those guys. So, I mean, often often when you're when you're doing intelligence work, the 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 drudge work is where the, is where because you it's if you if you're going to get to the the bottom of something, that's where you find it. You know, you have to have access to the files. Right. And so, you know, but I was, but they were, they were adamant. No, no cell phone pictures, nothing. It was, it was like, don't you, you they, they checked me to make sure I didn't have cell phones, pictures. So the next, they, they actually took yeah, everything away from sure. me to make sure I wouldn't be able to have it. It was strictly eyes only. The next but they question. They wanted me to see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you saw, the next question probably would be uh, what's the interest the Carlisle Group has in uh, holding shares of the Federal Reserve? Anyway. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> but but the Carlyle Group is is also uh, the two point three trillion dollars. The Booz, Carlyle Group and the Booz Allen Group are tied into the two point three trillion dollars that got stolen. Aha! Uh-huh. Interesting. The day that was announced that uh, Donald Rumsfeld announced the theft the day before nine eleven, and the next day the Pentagon office where where Donald Rumsfeld held the press conference was blown up. Right, and right. people want us to believe that was a an airplane. I do not. That is impossible. The it is flat. It is it is again that the laws of physics, the laws of aerodynamics, exactly. make it impossible that that was an airplane. There is no way that the airplane could have approached the that the the, the Pentagon at that particular angle that it was struck from, and inside the Pentagon, uh, everyone heard explosions going off. In that office. Inside the Pentagon. In, inside the Pentagon, they heard explosions going off in that inside that office. So they all know that it was either some kind of missile or it was some kind of internal detonation covered up by this, you know, some something else happened. Yeah. <laughs> something else happened. But it was awfully convenient that all of the Pentagon, all of the Booz Allen Carlisle Group um, paperwork was destroyed that day. So, in your opinion, Susan, in, in, in your in your opinion, and and you were um, you 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 were unable to talk about uh, what you knew for many years, right? For many years, I was kept, and 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 it was it was uh, you know I I have to say that 
I was kept silent from the standpoint of the military. I started off by telling you that my, my boyfriend had a top secret security clearance and a job at the Pentagon while I was under indictment. And, and he would come home with stories from, with, with messages from inside the Pentagon, definitely high ranking messages from various people, various generals saying, look, the situation in Iraq is so much more brutal than anyone is being allowed to know. And so many young men and women, courageous young men and women, were getting their arms and their legs blown off. They're becoming paralyzed. There are, there are still people who will be wounded, brain injuries. General Kelly, I'm convinced, has a, has a concussion uh, art, it suffers from artillery concussion. You know, you see those pictures when he's, you know, he's got, he's, he's got, he's, he's staring into bright lights, but he's got his, he's got like a, mi- it looks like he's having a migraine headache and he, yeah. and it irks, it aggravates president Trump. That's an <laughs> artillery concussion, but, but so many people suffered and died. And, and the real facts of Iraqi pre-war intelligence, I'm not even allowed to tell to this day because there's so much that, that is, uh, you know, I can tell you there was a peace option on the table. The Iraqis offered to have the FBI send a terrorism task force into Baghdad with authorization to conduct interview, uh, criminal interviews, uh, witness interviews, make arrests of terrorism suspects. Um, they tried. The Iraqis tried to give us financial documents on Al Qaeda that would have shut down the financial network used by terrorists. That's what Israel wanted from me. That's what Israel tried to buy from me was the Iraqi um, financial records. They're like, if the United States doesn't want that, then by God, we'll take it. Get it. Get it. We'll give you anything. And the thing is, you have no I have no idea how poor I am. So if I was going to get yeah. any money from anybody, I would have got it from the Israelis. And they would have paid me any price. And and it's like pride. I, now I think back on it, it's like pride goeth before the fall. <laughs> because hubris stopped me. And I, I, you know, maybe if I hadn't been so, so, so pure, I would have. No, you. Lot, yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. I, yeah. I honor you. I'm probably the only one in the whole history of yeah. American intelligence <laughs> who did not take money from the Israelis. <laughs> Susan, are you familiar with Sam Faddis? Uh, I, 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 yes, yes, a little bit. Okay. Um, and, uh, the other question I have for you is, are you familiar with the Hegelian dialectic? Oh, um, not that you're going, you're taking me back to college now. <laughs> Before 1930. <laughs> Before 1930. No, no. Well, okay, so, sorry, 1980s. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, the Hegelian dialectic. Uh, 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 anyway, I started this program a couple years ago from uh, the Zika uh, uh, virus and the pesticide. That was kind of there was a small group of outraged citizens uh, against this uh, pesticide called Dibrom, and I found a connection between both um, to the Rockefellers. Um, and oh, uh, they have yeah. If if it's if it's bad, there it's connects to them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, from there, I and there I went to St. Anthony Sutton, who was a, a former Hoover Fellow at Stanford, um, and then he started going down a train um, of uh, uh, a group out of Yale that the Bushes are connected to, and even members of the Rockefeller 
uh, family. Um, uh, they call themselves Lodge Three Twenty Two, the Skull and Bones, and they and they and they, they link uh, they link to various philosophies, if you will, uh, of of old Germany. And uh, Frederick Hegel is is certainly one of the most prominent philosophers that they that they study. Um, so uh, uh, anyway, just 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 different things. In 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 your eyes, and in closing, Susan, and uh, a final few moments. Uh, what I'd like what I'd like you to 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 paint for listeners is really your view of a um uh, what what if you think yeah. the conspiracies what no <laughs> if you're worried about conspiracy theories let me tell you the truth is so much more twisted and convoluted and sick yeah than the conspiracies the conspiracies are watered down Oh, I like they, that. The conspiracies <laughs> are watered down. They really do suppress a lot. Uh, people talk about the dust. Christopher Bolin and my, I had a friend from Japan yeah. who spent time, who got locked up in prison because she took dust from the World Trade Center oh, to Japan goodness. with oh, her. Susan. No, she spent three years in prison for it. Three years because she exposed that there. She she was curious. She had an apartment in, in Manhattan, in the southern part of Manhattan, and it broke out the windows, and she wanted to know what the dust was inside her apartment, and uh, she she took it home with her and took it to a laboratory in Japan and found and the FBI came and arrested her and she was held what? for over a year in Japan, then extradited in handcuffs from Japan over the which was for her as a Japanese citizen per human being was devastating that she was in handcuffs the entire way and the whole flight all the people on board the flight saw that she was in handcuffs she was humiliated and shamed and taken to prison in New York and then locked up and they refused they didn't want to give her a trial they bullied her into taking a guilty plea and she got three years they said if she didn't take a guilty plea and get three years she'd do ten years for this and she said but i didn't do anything wrong yeah. <laughs> and i said oh it doesn't matter it doesn't matter <laughs> well it sounds like you should be uh starting in on a new book uh <laughs> um, yeah but yeah. so so what 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 do you advise for the average american uh, uh, moving forward what 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 can they do in this in this whole kind of fake news um, world of Donald Trump, and what's the best? Uh, what's the best you know, foot forward I for an American? I have to tell you, I like Donald Trump. I think that Donald Trump is Trump is a breath of fresh air. People get upset with me for that, but I I have to tell you, he really is fighting the deep state, and oh. the deep state. He he is. He really Thank is. You, Susan. Yep. you don't you don't believe it. You don't believe it. No, I no no. I'm commending you on your view on that because I, okay. I absolutely. I just okay. I, the deep state is the biggest threat we have. They are. Uh, th- there's a lot more thievery at the Pentagon than anybody realizes. People, so much money is ending up in offshore bank accounts, oh. and and cousins and friends and relatives are are. Are, are jumping on board and popping off money uh, to to their you know to, to the 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 Caymans and the the you know the the Caribbean and whatnot sure. yeah bank off you know offshore bank right. havens and, and so it's just we we have a lot of Trump is really trying to take these people down but there's there the the powers behind who are fighting him are are much of a greater threat to the the people 
the American people than, right. than you would realize. And that's and that's what I want. That's what I'd like to to hear from you uh, because because um, I I can't agree with you more. I, I, I Trump is. He he knows what's going on, and that's where he's a where, smart guy. Listen, yeah. the day of nine eleven, hours after the attack, he was one of the he was the very first person who got on television and said, "Look, this was explosions throughout the building," and, wow. the, and he explained how it was done, and he was right. Every single thing that he has said about nine eleven was accurate, and it t- it took the rest of us. You know, to to his credit, it took the rest of us some t- a few months to figure this out, or a few years to yeah, figure this yeah. out. But he knew it in hours. He knew it immediately when it happened, and he is very well. Uh, he he is combative. He's got, but he he's a fighter. So there's there's some. He's he's got some ish anger management issues, <laughs> <laughs> which I think that the White House is going to iron out of him. But over time, he's going to become more smooth. But I don't want a smooth politician. I want someone who's going to talk, who's going to speak honestly and from the heart about what he believes, and he's going to fight like, fight like hell to get it done for us. And he really is trying to make the country better. And and I love what he's doing on jobs and the and and the economy. Wow, I mean, jobs and the economy are benefiting everybody. We're all you know, doesn't matter the color of your skin or your ethnicity or political party. Or political party, everyone is benefiting in this economy, and everyone. The tax cuts are, are an engine for growth, and it's making America competitive again. So we can. We had one of the highest tax rates in the world. Now it's down to a, a reasonable level, and it's put us right in the thick of things. And America's back, as far as I'm concerned. So I, you know, I, I know a lot of people are. There's a lot of contention over when I say I support Donald Trump, but I do so wholeheartedly. And I and I think that the deep state is uh, is is a is a, a like a, an enemy of the people. <laughs> yeah. So what's the, what's what's the greatest threat in your opinion to the survival of the republic? Oh, uh, a demand for censorship and conformity. That scares me. That's very scary. We 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 are strongest when we are each have our own individual opinions. We're free to be wrong. We can make our own mistakes. We learn our own lessons. But when we start attacking people because they walk into a restaurant and sit down to have a you know a, a bite of food, um, you, that's just that's not cool. Especially in Washington D.C., where everybody is political and everyone is is enjoying a night out to argue. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta be free to have arguments. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I learn from you. You learn from me, and maybe we. Maybe we chip away around the edges and we come out, you know, with with a better idea. Absolutely. Um, and then, how would you define the deep state for listeners? How, how do they how do they identify with that? Ooh, deep state that the bureaucracy. One of the biggest issues that I hope will be taken up is going to be one of the hardest fights will be civil service reform. It sounds so boring. Oh, you're going to get to fire the the people you don't like. You get to fire the mediocre bureaucrats. Yeah. And everyone's going to say, ah, that's a good idea. It's better government. That's good government, but it's not sexy government. But in fact, that's how you cut the deep state out. Because you have people who are just sabotaging and obstructionists. And they've got to be removed. They've got to be cut away. So I, I think I think that we have to have something. 
that's gonna that's gonna chip away at this at a, at a deeper level because it's it's not uh, you know so it's not working. Uh, Susan, what a pleasure to to have you join the program. What are some closing comments for for listeners? Check out my book, Extreme Prejudice, The Patriot Act. Uh, I was the second non-Arab American ever indicted on the Patriot Act. Secret charges, secret evidence, secret grand jury testimony that I was never allowed to know who accused me of what crime. Wow. The government was never required to show evidence that a crime even occurred. Like if you have a bank robbery, you're going to you're going to know the name of the bank, you're going to know the 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 license tag numbers of the getaway car, you're going to know the time, yeah. the amount of the robbery, the amount stolen in the robbery, and I got none of that. It was just like take our oh word for goodness. it and give us a guilty plea. I said never in this world am I going to do that. No. Are you crazy? <laughs> never going to happen. So then they had to they didn't have any evidence and I was like I'm going to I'm and I used to I I'm I'm a fighter, so I would be like, and an honest fighter. Into, you're I'm an honest fighter. And I was <laughs> like, you guys are going into court with a little air gun, and I've got an RPG launcher on my back, and I'm going to beat you into the dirt. And they're like, oh no, you're not, because we're not ever going to let you out. So they denied me a trial and a hearing. I was not even allowed to have a hearing. I was like, Susan. I was under. They, I mean, can you imagine? They, 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 they refused to give me a hearing, and I begged for it. Judge Michael Mukasey, who later became the U.S. Attorney General, was my judge in my case, and it, uh, it, it was it, he. He was he saved my life. I he, people are really surprised that I love that man. He turned out to be my secret hero because I wasn't sure if he could really see. Because you're, if you're if you're accused, if you're the defendant, the defendant's chair has got to be the worst. Is the definitely the worst chair in the courtroom. It's a scary place to be at that level where you're accused of treason, yeah. treason with capital T. You know, foreign agent of Iraq. Oh my heavens, Lord! You know, Lord. Yeah, and I—I I was just like when they told me, I laughed. I said, right, you, "You're kidding! Right. You can't be serious! Right? You cannot possibly believe this." <laughs> well, and you're I laughing about literally, it. Literally, I literally no, I I literally no. they they I was in a a sedan, a sedan being driven from my home in handcuffs to Baltimore. <sighs> And when they told me my judge was Michael Mukasey and that he had overseen the 1993 World Trade Center case of of the of the blind Sheikh Abdurrahman, I burst out laughing. It was like a it was like a deep it was a, a um. It was not like a hysteric. It was a hysterical laughing, is what it was. It was not like a giddy hee 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 ha ha ha. No, it was like oh oh my god oh my god, and I and I started laughing, just uncontrollably <laughs> laughing because the first case that I ever did was the 1993 World Trade Center case, and I gave advance warning to the Tunisian embassy diplomat Monier Adoum in uh, Washington, D.C., and I told him all about that, who is going to do it, why, that, what their motivation was, and then I went dark. I went to the embassy two days before the attack, and I told them all about it. I was immediately surrounded, after the attack two days later, I was surrounded by, you know, if, uh, intelligence and FBI, and I was, and, and very briefly, uh, they said, there was a, one of the journalists asked a question. They said, 
There was a woman who allegedly went to an embassy and told the embassy about the attack two days before it happened. And I was like, ooh, ooh, that was me. <laughs> And and I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> did I do that? Oh, no, that was a very bad idea. But it changed my entire, it changed my entire life because then I went dark. I went to, I went to ground and, and stayed absolutely silent. And they, uh, they followed every, they followed all the leads that I gave them. They, tr- they built a case that did not require my testimony, but Judge Michael Mukasey, was the judge in that case. And so when they told me that he had my case, I was like, oh my God, I am saved. Somebody has given him my case because they know my history and I will be protected in this case, in this trial. And he, the, the FBI agents had turned around and looked at me and said, they told me to make sure you know it's Judge Michael Mukasey. I said, who's that? And he said, oh, that's the World Trade Center case. And I was like, oh my God, I'm saved. <laughs> And I just burst out laughing. I did. I really did. And that's why they thought I was a little bit crazy. But <laughs> <laughs> you got to be a little crazy to be a spook because you don't do anything the way that anybody else does it. It's like, wait a minute. You're not supposed to do it that way. I was like, oh, I just changed the rules, didn't I? <laughs> You're supposed to go in and flip things around and flip the script. And, and I'm very good at that. So. Ladies and gentlemen, Susan Lindauer. Susan, thank you so much for joining the program. What a wonderful conversation. I enjoyed it very much. Please have me back anytime. Susan Lindauer, graduate of Smith College, Massachusetts, the London School of Economics. She knows what's going on, folks. I, I don't want to... Look, CNN, NBC, CBS are our main, the main syndicates, the main distribution channels that you receive your information on. Question it. Question what I say. Question what Susan says. That's that's the, that's the point here. But 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 like the, the giant mosquitoes being, I'm going to say unleashed. Now, North Carolina, did you know of the genetically modified mosquito plants in the Keys? Did you know that there are genetically modified mosquitoes that are flying through the air, that are man-made mosquitoes that could be transmitting various viruses that could be putting you at risk, that aren't necessarily natural to your geographic area, Nala. Uganda forest, uh, the Zika forest of Uganda, Africa. Cecil Rhodes, also school, Oxford. Uh, some of these things that if, you, if you're not sure what I'm speaking of, do a little bit of research. That's what prompted me to do this and provide this every Wednesday at 5 o'clock. And Susan is a very sharp voice and words... For you to be receiving in your ears. I'm very grateful to have her join us. Next week, we will be hosting Old Demigard and a la Daniel Estelin. If you haven't caught his episode, please. It's on iTunes, pretty sure. Definitely on Mixcloud. 
And it's on my website, iantrottier.com, iantrottier, or impeach mass media, if you like. 30 years of research culminates in a book called Coup d'etat. Having done hundreds of interviews and reached millions of listeners and readers through his books and international guest appearances, Ola was awarded the, two, like I said, 2017 Prague Peace Prize and was select speaker at the World Peace Day in Gibraltar. Ola focuses his resource around the international mechanics, which lead to the extremely controversial assassination of global leaders, Swedish Prime Minister Olaf Palm, U.S. President John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., and others. That'll be next Wednesday, 5.15. We'll open up the show with Victoria Kent, the young author out of Baltimore. I'll be back with some closing comments. This is Winwood Radio. When I'm talking to a cop Make it stop. Dance packs looking for a crash pad spot. I'm on all to the top of the path. Lay to the people and made to the pines. I'll be all with no lady. I'll be riding her line. Oh, smoking outside the cop you tell. I'm already never gonna fail you I keep that running in the background and we'll close out with it just uh, momentarily. Dr. Judy Mikovits will join us next month. Why is she important? She's written a book called Plague, all co-authored by one scientist in Shepard, in, intrepid research for the truth in human retroviruses and chronic fatigue syndrome, autism, and other diseases. 20-year career with the National Cancer Institute in Frederick, Maryland, and leading various pharmaceutical studies. 2012, it was learned that the XMRV, a prior study of hers, was a contaminant of the Silverman lab, and the XMRVs isolated were a new human exogenous and transmissible retrovirus family, which are strongly associated with the neuroimmune disease and cancer. I think it's not relevant to you. It is. Especially if there are man-made mosquitoes flying around your head. A man-made mosquito can be injected with a virus that can infect you. It ain't non-natural, meaning by design. Just consider it. That's all. Just consider it. November 7th, author and Temple University professor Joan Mellon. She's going to talk about her book, Blood in the Water. And it's interesting that Susan mentioned Israel trying to buy her out. Well, how the United States and Israel conspired to ambush the USS Liberty. Yes, that's the name of her book. Joan Mellon, professor at Temple. Blood in the Water, how the U.S. and Israel conspired to ambush the USS Liberty. Tune in every Wednesday. I'm your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. This is Winwood Radio Discussion to Truth. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram. Get my new book. No more lies. Until next week.
Be awesome.